Where has God brought you from? And where is he taking you? Where is he taking us? Where would you like to be? We're going to be preaching the map. Why preach the map? Well, most of you have smartphones, and that's what you use to get from point A to point B. You plug in. If, if you want the map to be useful, you've got to plug in my location. You've got to plug in a place, where am I right now? And then you plug in Phoenix, Arizona. You plug in uh, some place that you want to go, and then hit search or hit go, and the map will give you one or two, three different ways to, to get there, the process of getting there. This is a way for us as we preach the map to study Christian pilgrimage. And the Bible uses a lot of metaphors to help us understand our relationship with God. There's the, there's the metaphor of the courtroom or God is our judge. Romans and Galatians uses that a lot. There's the metaphor of father and child and, and John helps us understand that a lot. There's the metaphor of a marriage, of us being the bride. Of Christ, of being married to the bridegroom and the groom coming again. And there's also this metaphor of a journey where God is our Lord and King and Jesus is our guide. In fact, it says He is the, the way. <laughs> and so we follow Him in the way. We're pilgrims. Until we experience God, we're headed in the wrong direction. But then we repent and we begin following God and we begin walking with God. Life is a journey. A lot of writers, both Christian and secular, old and contemporary, have, have built their stories around the central theme of a journey. There's, there's the Odyssey by Homer. There's Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. There's Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Remember Robert Frost? Take you back to school right now. In the poem, The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. Sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bit in the undergrowth. Two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Some of you remember that, huh? Remember having to... Study that and turn that in. In the Bible, this emphasis on the journey of life is underscored by this recurring theme of walking with God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked with God. Abraham, Enoch, they walked with God. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Isaiah said, this You'll hear it in your ears. You'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Micah said, what does the Lord require of you? You want to know what the Lord requires of you? <laughs> but to do justly, to love mercy, and number three, walk humbly with your God. Walk on this map, walk on this journey with God. Jesus said to his first disciples, follow me. Paul would repeat the theme in the epistles. Walk in the spirit. Walk in love. Walk in the light. Walk worthy. Are you ready to walk? Are you ready to travel these next few weeks as we study the map? The most prominent illustration of doing the walk in the Bible is in the Old Testament journey 
of redemption when God led his people from Egypt to Canaan. To understand the spiritual significance of this journey, we got to learn a little bit of geography. So we're going to be talking about geography in the Middle East. No journey makes sense without a map. Now this will come clear to you as you try to plot where am I on the map. One of the, the illustrations here, I've printed a map that's on the hallway out there, this map, and you'll be able to look at it and, and study it and ask God, where am I on this map? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to be? We're going to start off, number one, in Egypt today. But where I want to be, where I believe God wants all of us to be, is in the promised land. And that's in seven. That's a long ways from one to seven. In fact, there's a lot of circular travels in there that we're going to study about the nation of Israel and the children of Israel for us to get there. And maybe we won't repeat some of the same mistakes. In this, there's two distinct works of grace. There's a crisis experience at number two where we cross the Red Sea and we'll preach on that next week. And there's another crisis experience at number seven where we cross the Jordan. Church of the Nazarene, we call this the experience of entire sanctification. And so those will be two important stops on this map. I want this to be beneficial to you both to talk about here's where I am Pastor, I, I want, I feel like God's moving me here. I want it to be helpful to training us as leaders, as, and as lay people, and to, to help other people. I want to help you get out of Egypt. I want to help you get to the promised land. And then I want it to be useful in you telling your story as you testify. Here's what God is doing in my life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. The first one is going to be just why we're going to preach the map out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then we'll move to Exodus chapter 1. Paul preached the map. And this is what he tells the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. He's going back to preaching the map. He says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. They were all drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. So Paul is preaching the map and he says, church at Corinth, you got something to learn here. They were doing some things that weren't pleasing to God. So that's one reason we study history, right? To learn from the, from the mistakes of the past so we don't have to repeat them. Now these things happened as examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. We'll study that. When we make the trip through the wilderness, we'll study that exact incidence that he's talking about. The, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. 23,000 killed in one day. That's a big deal, right? We ought to learn from their mistakes. 
Uh-oh. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed, destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, he's preaching now. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Hmm. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written. Why? They were written for our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then I love this verse, and it's here in this context of preaching the map, of giving them the example of the children of Israel. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, you ought to highlight that verse. You ought to memorize that verse. You ought to claim that verse. No temptation has overcome you that is except that is common to man, and God is faithful. The story of redemption begins when we learn that God's people are far from their promised land. When we look at this map again, one is a long ways from seven. For 400 years they've lived in Egypt. Much of this time the Hebrews enjoyed a life of comfort in the most developed civilization in the ancient world. 400 years. We, we are barely over 200 years old as a nation. 400 years the people of Israel have been in Egypt. The opening verses of Exodus connect back to the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis 12, 15 and 17. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Well, guess what? Now they are a great nation because the Israelites are very numerous. There's a lot of people, but they don't have a land yet. They're in a foreign land. They're not in their homeland. One of the promises God gave to Abraham says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Well, Pharaoh of Egypt is on a collision course with God because he begins cursing. He begins destroying the nation of Israel and and, and bringing grief to them. Our title of the message this morning is Egypt, to leave or not to leave. That is the question. God has a problem. How do you motivate a people to leave a land where they've been for 400 years? A place that they begin to call home for four centuries. And the opening chapters of Exodus begin to describe how God is using suffering. He's using bondage, a search for identity, homesickness, a divine call at a burning bush. All of this is to help cause a people to want to leave all that is familiar and launch out on this adventure of the unknown. I want you to get this this morning. No one begins the journey to spiritual wholeness until the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of moving to where God wants us to be. You with me? No one begins this journey to spiritual wholeness until the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain of moving 
us where God wants us to be. God wants us to be more like Him. He wants us to be more Christ-like. And I believe there's a holy dissatisfaction stirring in your heart as it's stirring in mine. We are made for more than Egypt. We got to get out of Egypt. We got to get out of captivity. We got to move on to where God wants us to be. Let's look at Exodus now, chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who moved to Egypt with their father, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. You can begin following along at verse 6. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't. If war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. And then they will escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. I love the language here. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more the alarm the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless. In their demands. You did not want to work for these Egyptians. I love the story of Joseph. He's a transformational leader. I love the fact that everywhere we find Joseph. When, when he's had wrongs done to him. His brother sell him into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused in Potiphar's house. But everywhere he lands. He conducts himself with integrity. Godly character. And he's always elevated to the place of position and, and power. He does the right thing. In Hannah Whittall Smith's classic book, The Secret, Christian Secret of a Happy Life, she writes about Joseph and the chariot that bore him to triumph. In the story of Joseph, as he's risen to prime minister of Egypt, Pharaoh puts him in his chariot and he sends him out. And that's a picture of Joseph in, in his chariot. But, but she's writing about the other chariot. She says the chariot was not what we think of an ancient two-wheeled vehicle. She says, no, the chariot was the trials that he had to endure. When Joseph's brothers were before him cowering in fear, Joseph could tell them, hey, relax, guys. God put me here. God sent me here. God sent me here to, to do something, to save the nation, to save our family. God used an unusual mode of transportation. See, Joseph's chariot was betrayal. His chariot was getting sold into slavery. 
His chariot was wrongful accusations and imprisonment. Joseph goes from prison to prime minister. Our chariots will probably be less dramatic, but they may not be. Each of us has a story that we can tell. But we can pray that whatever trials, whatever mode of transportation, I pray over all of us that we would have the same attitude of Joseph. That we could use, those things can be used in our lives to bring us to the place that God wants us to be. There's a recent article in CNN that covered the effects of slavery or forced captivity. It goes into when, when a person is taken captive and, and, and forced into slavery that there's things begin to happen. Even mental health problems, post-traumatic stress disorders, things that even that starts working in the captive's brain in a very negative way. They can lose trust in people. Captivity can do horrible things. And can cause us to act out in horrible ways. The, the, the nation of Israel, in their cases, the more that the, the Egyptians oppressed them, they, con, they continued to thrive and to multiply. The Hebrew people were in Egypt and God wanted them out. Each of us has an Egypt testimony. You're either in Egypt right now and God wants you out or you've been in Egypt and God's already delivered you. All of us have an Egypt testimony. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants me out of Egypt. You know that captivity is still happening. Some of the things that are part of our modern spiritual captivity are things like pride. Pride will keep you in Egypt. Money or the love of money, I should say. Money in itself is not evil, but, but the love of money will keep you in Egypt. A lot of people are, are gripped in, 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 in the things of this world and materialism. God created sex, but sexual immorality. Many people are caught in some form of, of sexual immorality, and that is their Egypt captivity. Some people are bound by power and, and prestige. Whether it's in the home or it's in the workplace or it's in public office. Some people, that is their captivity. Some people are bound by addictions. Multiple types of addictions. But addictions are strongholds in our lives. Will keep us in Egypt. Will keep us far from the promised land. Do you hear the voice of God calling you today? I want you out of Egypt. I want you out of captivity. I want you away. It can be the, it can be a, the captivity of fear. I, we sang about this. And perfect love cast out all fear. Fear is, is used by the enemy. It's, it's a stronghold. But God doesn't want us living in fear. He wants us to deliver us from Egypt. He wants us to be delivered from fear. What are you tempted for in captivity? I, I got to be one of mine. One, one thing that I have to say, Lord, don't let me go back into Egypt was, is this, is just, accomplishments or 
my checklist of getting things done. You say, well, that don't bother me at all. Well, that's one thing that I have to, I have to say, God, don't, don't let me move back into captivity of the urge, tyranny of the urge of getting things done. You can be held captive by legitimate things. But if it takes your focus and attention off of God, it's captivity. It's Egypt for you. One of my mentors, Dr. Matt Friedman, weekly small group that I share with several pastors, he, he gives his family story. He says the Friedman family, his dad was, was enslaved to money. Was in say there was a, even a gambling issue and and some smoking and drinking. He said we weren't far out evil wicked people, but but we, we just was not Christ centered at all. And mom, his mom one day said, "Why don't we do what normal people do on a Sunday morning? Why don't we go to church?" And he said, "That sounds good. Let's go to church." And in that church, Jerry Friedman got radically saved and transformed. His wife, a few weeks later, got saved. Five kids, one, Matt, in a house church, on the floor of a house church, gives his heart to Jesus Christ. Mary, a similar story, comes to Christ. The two fall in love today. They have six children and all six of their children are serving Jesus. Most of them are ordained ministers. Matt says, I shudder to think what would have happened had Jerry Friedman not said, yes, let's go. <laughs> they wouldn't have said yes to Jesus' call on their life. They would still, as a family, be in captive to, the, to gambling or to money or to just pursuing materialistic things, but now they're chasing after God. Mary, I, I shudder to think what would have happened had you not said yes to God. I loved, we were meeting at tons, and she had already given her heart to God, but just the fellowship there on Wednesday mornings, and, and Mary Way became part of it, and all four of her children, I think, are here this morning worshiping God. Can you give God praise for the trajectory of maybe one person's decision? We all have a story. Come share, Mickey. Come share. I asked Mickey to give 60 seconds. Do you think Mickey can talk for only 60 seconds? He's going to share his whole testimony on August, our first Wednesday of August. But, but Mickey, give us a, give us a preview of being in Egypt and God setting you free. Okay. So, y'all, let your light shine. Don't be afraid of anything. Fear, social anxieties, all of this is from the devil. Anything that you're afraid of, getting in a car wreck, uh, getting that fast car and you're going to wreck it, you know, working for it and doing all these things, all that is from the devil. That's from the evil one. That's him trying to... Tear you down, kill, steal, kill, and destroy, right? So let me start my timer because I'm already like You're good. doing it. And I'm freezing. Anybody else cold in here? I'm shaking. I'm going to try not to shake and look scared. Um, so I was homeless for two years, 18 to 20 years old. I used anger. I was in gangs um, for most of my teenage years. Um, I fought my parents, was not doing what I should do and honoring my, my mother and father. I used anger because I was scared 
Um, I was upset because of the divorce that they had had my parents. And so I kept, wow, that's 30 seconds already. So I kept being bad and, and basically pleasuring myself in the world. I could tell you every basketball player, uh, every car, uh, all of these things of the world uh, I relished in and, and attempt to be the man, you know, and, and act like I wasn't scared and act like I was bigger than these little girl arms that I still have at 41 years old and all this kind of thing. Um, but at 18 years old, I asked the Lord into my heart, felt, um, felt it, felt it happen, felt it, felt something unusual when I did that. I was getting on I-10 going east on, on Ambassador Carey. I still remember where I was. I still didn't really start walking the walk as I should have. Um, luckily, the law said, this is the last time we're going to let you get arrested for marijuana and, and then uh, after that you're going to go to Angola for 20 years so then I put it down God mm-hmm. said this is what you're going to I don't want to go see meet Big Bubba in the pen and, and all that kind of thing I'm going to do the right thing instead but I told my brother I said I'm going to and I'll wrap this up in about mm-hmm. 30 seconds. I told my brother I said I'm not going to I can't I can't do this God thing how can God let rape and, and Hitler and all this stuff go on and then I'm supposed to worship this guy and say hey oh give you all the glory. Thanks for the world you've given us. This is great. Thanks for all the temptation, touch, but don't taste and all this kind of stuff. And so I I told him, I said, I'm just going to be as good as I can. And when I can't be any more worldly good, then I'll go to God. Because I was raised in a Baptist Christian home and all this. I knew that was the right way. And I believed in in Jesus, the Messiah and everything. Um, So finally, late 20s, um, early 30s, I was being as good as I could, God was showing me, although I didn't realize, he was showing me what what he was about, what good was. And now I have a book called, uh, it's, uh, I, I do a lot of, uh, I, I don't watch TV anymore. I used to be a TV holly. <laughs> I don't listen to the radio anymore, all these worldly things. I watch the Bible Project on uh, a lot of our streamers uh, where they break down a lot of these cool things. Um, I was stuck on 1 Corinthians for a long time. Now I'm doing uh, the other books of Paul, uh, a lot of Jesus, uh, the Gospels and things. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to be doing and and change my heart, but do so through works as well. Um, And he's showing me how to do this. I'm not in bondage anymore. I used to be scared. I used to be, uh, I would have never got up here and did this. I would have never gone to Ocean (laughs) and talked to 10 people, especially you guys. You guys know me, so it's even harder to get up in front of people you know, right? But I never would have got up and did this because he had me locked in fear because I was claiming the world. And he showed me how to – he showed me how to be strong. He's given me uh, uh, results here. He said, I'm going to give you this company. You're going to be a business owner now. Uh, I'm going to show you how to be strong in my way. Um, Praise God. So that's – there's only one way to do it, and and it's worshiping God and it's believing in God. But your heart has to be soft. You can't be that prideful man. You can't be uh, too much in the world, too much binge watching, into too much of this new music, whatever it is, hip hop and all this kind of stuff. You know, forget all these worldly things. Go help somebody, help yourself, uh, soften your heart. Uh, that's what he's shown me to do. Amen. Five minutes later. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 Give him and a that's, hand, that's right? That's the best way to do it. It's hard to do it in an elevator speech in 60 seconds, but God got Mickey out of Eden. He got, 
his beautiful wife Sandra out of Egypt. And God is bringing them to a, a place of fruitfulness and working in his kingdom. Can you give God praise for getting us out of Egypt? God wants you out of Egypt. Your promise is Canaan. What's keeping you in Egypt? See, in their their place of rescue became a place of accommodation and eventually hardship and slavery. But God wanted them out of Egypt. And the Egyptians did everything in their power to suppress them. Verses 11 and 12 talks about all that. They, they, they were without mercy. They were slave drivers. They were crushing labor. You ever felt that? Isn't that what sin does to us? It just overwhelms us. The harder we try, the, the, the more intense the devil and, and sin becomes. The Egyptians took care to keep them poor by charging them with heavy taxes. They made them slaves. The, it appears that the Israelites were more industrious than the Egyptians. They, they could build cities. They, they put them out in the farms and they, and they just had this incredible fruitfulness in their, in their industrial ability to do crops and to raise things. They made them serve. <laughs> if it would profit Pharaoh, the more intense they came, the, the, the harder they worked. The intensity made them bitter. They tried to break their spirits and rob them of everything. They tried to ruin their health and shorten their days. They, they said, we got too many of them. we got to diminish them. They even discouraged them from marrying so there'd be no more children born into, into this slavery. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, won't it? Sin is a horrible slave master a hard taskmaster. God wants us out of Egypt. I heard the story of Paul Toshiro. Paul Toshiro was age 12 in Japan. 12 or 13, he was recruited to be a kamikaze pilot back in World War II. It blows my mind that someone Brennan's age, 13, would be recruited to fly an airplane. They recruited them to fly airplanes, teaching them how to fly, but not how to land. That was the deal. They were taught, these young men, that the emperor was God. And that they should give their lives in service to the emperor. Then Nagasaki and Hiroshima happened, and they realized that the emperor was not God. And so there was a lot of distraught and looking for answers. And Paul Toshiro, as a young teenager, began doing things he shouldn't have done. He began drinking even cheap rice wine. And one day he was in somewhat of a drunken stupor, was walking down the street, and he heard music coming from a tent. It was a camp meeting put on by World Gospel Mission. Paul Toshiro walked in there. They, they escorted him all the way down to the front. He heard the message of Jesus Christ and Paul gave his heart to Jesus. He found meaning and purpose in life. Paul Tashiro would go on to study God's word, become a preacher, and would actually teach Old Testament at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. One day he was to speak in, in, a, in a revival service and a, a man came and he had heard a little bit of Paul's story and he came to that service. He said, I was... I was full of bitterness. I was filled of hate of who you were and what you stood for as a young man. He said, but I heard you preach. 
God, overwhelm me with your love. And now, though our countries were enemies and I was filled with personal hate towards you, today God has done something in my heart and I ask you to forgive me. That man could have stayed in captivity of something bitter, of a wrong that had happened to him and his country and his family. God delivered Paul, God delivered that man that had something against him. God got them out of Egypt. Now, here's here's where part of the problem is today, friends. Getting people out of Egypt is easier than getting Egypt out of people. See, we want to follow God. We want to serve God. But there's a little bit that we hang on to. And we don't want to be completely, we just, in our humanness, we don't want to be completely set free. We, and so we begin, as you'll see through this story of the children of Israel, this wilderness, this cycle, serving God, passion, and then falling out of it. Serving God and falling. And it's because we haven't got Egypt out of our lives. I believe today God wants to, to begin a journey. I, I, I mean, I believe God in a moment can take you all the way to Canaan land. But today, the call on our hearts, if there's part of Egypt in our life, the call on our hearts today is to get out of Egypt. Are you ready to make a decision? Are you ready to say, I'm going to go God's way? I, maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a stronghold. And you just say, I need God to do something new in my life. I'm tired of living in, in this captivity. What are you tempted to for captivity? I'm asking you today to make a declaration. I'm ready to leave Egypt. Stand with me this morning. The Holy Spirit is here. God is here. As, as something is sung, I want you just to, if, the, if God is speaking to your heart, and, and it would help you to make a declaration by just coming to this altar and saying, I'm ready to leave Egypt. Or I've got this stronghold in my life. I want to lay it down. I want God to get completely, Egypt completely out of me. If that's you this morning, I want you to just come and let's pray a prayer of faith this morning. I'm to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided Make a declaration today. to follow
together this morning as we pray together. Let's just let's just bind our hearts together. Lord, we're thankful for your presence here this morning. God, I thank you for your call. I thank you for the promise of a homeland. I thank you for the promise of Canaan. I thank you for a promise of a place of fruitfulness and 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 just living in right relationship with you in a place of victory over sin. And today, God, we covenant with those that have come today. Lord, various types of captivities. But we're claiming the blood of Jesus Christ over every life, Lord, represented here today. God saying, we, we have decided. We're getting out of Egypt. We're getting out of captivity. We're going to follow God. We're going to go all the way with God. You can count on me, God. I'm giving you my life. I am determined today that I will not go back to Egypt. I will get, Lord, deliver Egypt, Lord, any spirit of Egypt in our heart, any attitude, any stronghold, oh God. I plead the blood of Jesus, God. Deliver us today, oh God. Lord, would you take us to the place that you're calling us and give us the courage, God. The journey to spiritual wholeness comes when we recognize that the pain of staying where we are is greater than the pain that you may have to take us through, oh God. So, Lord, I know it's a dangerous prayer to pray, but break us, oh God. Lord, I get, make us desperate for your presence, oh God. Lord, put a spirit of intercession on me, God. Don't let us stay where we are. Give us a holy dissatisfaction with where we are, oh God. Put a tug on our heart for Canaan. Put a tug on our heart, oh God. Lord, to be in the place of fruitfulness and vibrant living, the land filled with milk and honey. God, there's there's all kind of enemies there, God. But you're gonna you're gonna help us. You're gonna deliver us, oh God. Lord, get us out of Egypt today, I pray. I know the enemy well enough that this week those that have made a declaration, he'll fight extra hard. But I pray that the rest of the body here today will commit to pray for these individuals, oh God, that they would be strengthened in the inner man and in the inner woman by the power of your spirit. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, God, I pray just spiritual fervency and in times of intercession, oh God, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Oh God, make us hungry. Make us thirsty for you. And God, I know that you'll give us the desires of our hearts. As long as we pray in alignment with your will. May your will be done on earth. At this church. In our lives. In our homes. As it is done in heaven today. We thank you and we praise you. And we give you all the glory. And all God's people said. Amen. 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 Shake hands with your neighbor. Don't go back to Egypt.